Amen. You can be seated, and children, you can be released. Your teachers are back there to receive you. And for us, we are beginning a brand new series this morning in the books of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And so I want to encourage you, if you do not yet have one of these scripture journals, Brandon will hopefully be in the back. I don't see him, but if you can, (laughs) I don't know where he's at. Jim, can you help me? If you do not have one of these, would you raise your hand and we want to get one of these in your hands. This is our gift to you. What I love about this, thank you, Jim. (laughs) I think up here, uh, Jeremy, and if uh, there's some others, if we can get those. What I like about these is you'll see that on the right-hand side, it's a blank page. On the left-hand side is the text. If you could see mine, like I have notes written all around it, words highlighted, underlined, circled. Our hope is that as we go through this book together, this is an opportunity to study this passage together, to have the, the Word of God shape us, to write the, um, be it sermon notes or your own journaling or prayers to to be able to write out as we walk through this. Because if we think about what we hold in our hands, like what this book represents is the Word of God. Like stepping back from everything, these books are part of God's Word to us. And the Scripture says that all Scripture, it's, it's useful for, for, for teaching us, teaching us in, in, in the ways to walk that God has for us. It's breathed out by God. Right? And it's helpful for teaching us. But when we get off track, it brings reproof. But then it shows us a pathway of, of correction so that we can be trained in righteousness. God's Word is it's profitable to us. It's not just my Word standing up here and what I think, and we all have this collective understanding. This is surrendering to what God's Word says. And that the Bible, though, was also written to a specific people. These letters particularly, a specific people in a specific location going through something that we're going to be talking about. But the beauty of God's Word, it's, it's, it's applicable to all people across cultures and across history. It has application for us as we study through it. These books that we're going to be reading together were written by the disciple John, the same one who wrote the Gospel of John, the same one who who wrote the book of Revelation, also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. In 2nd and 3rd John, we'll see that he's called John the Elder. Because this was the John who was in a boat when Jesus called him with his brother. And when Jesus said, follow him, he left his father in the nets in the boat and he followed Jesus. He was there when Jesus hung on the cross and Jesus told John to care for his mother, Mary. It was John who raced the apostle Peter to see the empty tomb with his own eyes. John was there on the shore of Galilee as Jesus had a fire making the disciples breakfast, calling them to him. This is who wrote these words that we hold. 
Because history tells us that in 67 AD, he left Jerusalem and he went to a city called Ephesus, a a city that was known for its pagan worship of the god Artemis. And it was actually that temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was so large. They had an amphitheater that could seat 50,000 people. And he went to the city and he was proclaiming the gospel, planting churches, and the church began to grow. And there were numerous churches throughout the cities, but then that those churches had a crisis because people who once worshiped together, who once sang the name of Jesus and sang of the goodness of God through Jesus, then walked away. And they were denying Christ. And they were antagonizing anybody who said that they were following Christ. Today, we call that de-churched. See, we think about what it means to be unchurched, those who have never stepped foot into a church. And then we see those who were once part of a church and have walked away. And this is where I say the similarities historically and present. Because for us in Orlando, Orlando ranks number six for the most de-churched city in America. Behind places like San Francisco, Portland, Seattle, Then we have Orlando, people who once professed that they were followers of Christ. It's the sixth most unchurched city, which could seem shocking when you see the number of churches in our city. But this is our context. And and John is an elder. He's a shepherd to these people who are hurting who no doubt have doubts of like, what's going on? What's happened? What's the, the, the fears I have? These people I worshiped with. What's going on? But the thing is, is John isn't just reacting to people leaving the church. One commentary said it's a redemptive treatise urging readers to deepen their theological understanding, to examine how they are living, and then to participate together in the gospel. And what we're going to see is this letter, this poetic sermon that John has recorded for us that we're going to be walking through together. It can be misread often. Because it can come across as these imposing demands of do's and don'ts. But if we read this letter like that, we will have missed the point entirely. Because in reality, this is a manifesto of saying it is done. Christ has accomplished it. When he says it is finished, he means it is finished. And we're going to see these themes play out in the coming weeks. That God is light God is love, and because of who God is in our union together with Christ, we reflect who He is. And so I want to pray and then dive into these first four verses. It's one of those times, like when you dig into study, you realize like it's it's a deeper well than I even had time for this week. I feel like there's more here than I'm going to have time to talk about this morning. Of an introduction that can oftentimes be like you read through the introduction to get to the meat. And there is so much here that sets the tone for us in this series that I want us to see to prepare our hearts for this journey ahead. So let's pray. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. Lord, I thank you. 
that we do have the privilege together this morning to open up your word that has been breathed out by you, that it is authoritative and true. Lord, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, be glorified this morning. And in Jesus' name, amen. So beginning in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and, and we've touched with our own hands concerning the word of life, the life that was made manifest. And we've seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us. That, that which we have seen, that which we have heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's Word. And I want you to think about it for a moment. That which was from the beginning. What is that referring to? And when was the beginning? It's assuming something here, isn't it? That which was from the beginning. This, this word of life. This word of life that was made manifest to us. This life that's described as an eternal life that was somehow made known and it was from the beginning. This bears, like it's, it's bringing about this idea from both John's, the opening of his gospel, and also Genesis 1. Think about the parallels between John the gospel, chapter 1, and then what we read here in 1 John. The gospel says this, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is referring to Jesus at the beginning when Genesis 1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. This is saying that Jesus is eternally existent. He was there in the beginning. And His first words were recorded in Genesis 1 verse 3. Let there be light. There was light. No sun, no stars, yet light. And this light was the light of men. The first words God spoke over the void of the darkness is described there. That Jesus is the word of life. This is who he is from the very beginning. And the thing that John is doing that, that you need to understand here is he is, it's like this frontal attack on what the philosophy was of the time. Because this, this word, logos, word, in Greek philosophy, meant thought. It was an intellectual, educational thing. There was something called Gnosticism that was rising up, that was combating and saying, Jesus isn't like it's not about the physical world. The, the physical world is bad, material is bad. 
It's all about what's happening in your brain, what you think. You need to think right. You need to be educated. You need to be mindful. And Jesus is, and John here is saying this word of life, he was at the beginning of creation. This isn't an idea. This is a person. This isn't just some intellectual concept that we're following. This is the living, manifested Word of God who was present at creation, who spoke the words, let there be light, and there was light. John drew this sharp contrast, and then he makes this amazing thing, not just this Word of life, but eternal life. And here's what stood out to me. What does that mean? See, sometimes I, I come with this preconceived idea, like eternal life is you live forever in the presence of God, right? This is eternal life. But that's not how John describes eternal life. In his gospel, he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. Oh God, the one that which was from the beginning, this word of life, this life that was made manifest, this life that is eternal. And we're going to see this come up to have fellowship, union with this living Christ. John, the way he refers to himself, is the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, here's the thing about that. That can come across as arrogant, can it? Like, really, that's how you're going to describe him? Like, he loved you and he didn't love anybody else? But think about what he's saying. That's how he saw himself. Jesus didn't love John more than he loved any of the other disciples. But the way John saw himself in relationship to Jesus was he loves me. He loves me. In, in my darkest hour, he is the light. In, in, in the abyss of darkness, he speaks life. He is the, the light to men. And what he is inviting us into is who Jesus is. If we lose sight of that as we walk through this letter, if we make it into this list of do's and don'ts for the believer, this is what a good Christian looks like and this is what a bad Christian looks like, we will have missed the point entirely. John's heart for the people in shepherding their hearts is to say, look who God is and let us be enveloped in the warmth of his light, in his love, in the life, the eternal life that comes from knowing him, from being in relationship with him. That kind of life. And here's the thing that is so staggering. This eternal, all-powerful God, in the beginning when everything was darkness and a void, and God spoke and said, let there be light. This God who manifested Himself in the person of Jesus Christ, John's like, I've seen Him. I, I heard Him with my own ears. Listen to how He says this. That I've seen Him with my own eyes. That which was from the beginning, we have heard. We've seen Him. 
We've seen this God who has existed from the beginning, who is eternally existent, who has the power to create life out of the abyss. I've seen him with my own eyes. I've touched him with my own hands. I've heard his words spoken with my own ears. I was there when, when Thomas put his finger in the wounds of a crucified Savior who had risen from the dead. I was there when we had breakfast on the shore next to a fire after the resurrection. I've seen this. This is the story of John, and he's, you almost hear the pleading. That when Jesus said the words, I am the light of the world, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have light, the light of a life, was recorded by John because he was there and he heard those words on the lips of Jesus. It was John who was there when Thomas put his finger in the, the wounds. That which was from the beginning. This is Jesus, the word of life. And here's why it's so important. Here's what I want us to consider. Like, okay, what's the big deal? But think of the audience and think of ourselves in this city in our own context, in the midst of our own doubts, our own questions. Well, what makes us right and somebody else wrong? Is this just an intellectual game here? Is this just about what I know? How do I know that Jesus is the one true way? What about those that, that have walked away? Are they right? The doubts that can fill the, the minds, that can, can, can seep in the voices of those who have walked away and, and who belittle and, and they do courses for how to walk away and deconstruct your faith. It's out there throughout the internet. We live in a city that is characterized by being de-churched. And then we have John's words, what we hold in our hands. I was an eyewitness. I saw this. I was there. How do we know that it's true? Who, who would you believe? Are you going to believe somebody who, who comes up to you and you're like, you know what, I actually think Jesus said that he's like a gumball machine. And prayers are like quarters. And if you put your quarter in the gumball machine, you're going to get what you want. I, I think Jesus said this. Or are you going to believe somebody who was like, I, I, I walked with him. I heard it with my own ears. I listened. I saw. Who are you going to believe? We would be fools to listen to those who in the present think that they can redefine and put words in the mouth of Jesus or reinterpret who he is and who he claimed to be. There is a, a history we have here in God's word with somebody who walked with him, who heard him. And this is what he's pleading with the church. He's like, yes, there's going to be doubts. Yes, there's going to be hardships. Yes, the church has walked through a different season, but I was there. What I'm proclaiming to you, I heard with my own ears. It's not just making it up. This isn't an intellectual exercise. We have the words of someone who walked with Jesus, who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to record what he heard. 
We would be fools not to allow that to help us understand what is true, to not give us the theological understanding we need, what it means to walk in His ways and to participate in the fellowship with Christ. Who are we listening to? Who do we trust to speak truth into our life when everybody claims to be an expert? There is this call and invitation here. And here's the amazing thing. It says you can join in that fellowship. That which we have seen. And we've heard, we proclaim also to you. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Think about what this is saying. Fellowship with God. Our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship. The, the, the word here in Greek is koinonia, if you heard this. It means, it, it, the interesting thing is it's a word that's used 20 times. This is kind of where I geek out. It's used 20 times in the Bible. Four of those we're going to see right here in chapter 1 of 1 John. It's one of the overarching themes here, this sense of fellowship, this spiritual communion and participation in this spiritual community. It means to commune with God in deep friendship. When Curse and I were married, we had engraved inside our wedding bands, from my heart to yours. That's what's on the inside. And it's this reminder that have you ever had a, a moment like when you're talking with somebody and it feels like you're just missing each other? Like you're both speaking, but you're not understanding. You're not hearing the other person. You don't feel connected in that. And what we knew we longed for and we needed was for our hearts to be united. To be able to speak from my heart to yours. To be understood and to understand I think this is a reflection of koinonia, what fellowship is. And what John is saying, he has with God. Like, if that just causes us to pause for a moment, that we can have fellowship with the eternally existent God who created light before there was the sun, over the abyss and darkness. This God, who has the, the word of a life, eternal life, that is manifested, that was seen. We can have, John could say, I'm loved. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Like, have you ever thought of yourself like that? Like, as your name, instead of referring to yourself. John didn't say I, he says he refers to himself in the third person, the disciple whom Jesus loved. If that sits in for a moment, this is what he was saying. This is what we have. In our fellowship with God, one commentary said it this way. Think about it. Here is the answer to life's meaning and purpose. Only God through Christ can unlock the meaning and purpose of life. 
It was St. Augustine who said, our heart is restless until it finds rest in you. Here is the answers to life's peace. Jesus, who said, my peace I give to you. Here's the answer to life's loneliness. Fellowship with God and Jesus solves the problem of our spiritual loneliness. Even when we think we are alone, you are not alone. Because Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Even when we feel alone, even when we feel abandoned, Jesus said he would be there. And when we step out of the darkness and into the light of God, we are transformed. We're made new. We can say with God, from my heart to yours, from my heart to your heart, there can be communion. Like for me, that this past week, I had the opportunity on Wednesday to to step back from just the rhythm of life and, and take a spiritual retreat. And this was very much on my heart. It was me sitting there before God, no computer, no technology, no nothing, my journal and my heart before God and just saying, here I am, Lord. Here's my heart. I need to hear from you. The fact that we can do that with the living God is staggering. Like, that should cause us pause that we can have fellowship with God. It's unheard of, and, and, and we can take it for granted. But the thing that happens is not only do we have that fellowship, that koinonia with God, but also with one another. See what it's saying here. We have proclaimed also to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. That faith in Jesus unites people. It means that same oneness, that same one another that we can have with God, we also can have with one another because of our shared surrender to Christ. This is the beauty that there's unity, community, partnership, fellowship that only faith can provide because it's a shared experience of the living God. There's this intimate spiritual connection in community that exists when we follow Christ together. This fellowship, this theme that is being talked about here. And then verse 4. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Together. There is a joy we have in the reality of the fellowship we have with, with God. There is a joy that comes in our fellowship with one another. But there is a completeness that comes to our joy as, as we share in that together. As it is proclaimed together. It's this passionate proclamation of the gospel. What we have seen, what we've heard, this is what we proclaim to you. 
what we've experienced, what I saw with my eyes, what I heard with my ears. This is what I'm proclaiming that you would share in this joy. And in sharing that, in proclaiming it, there's a completeness that comes to the joy. I think about what Anthony was sharing this morning in the call to worship with this young man who felt like his his life had no value, no meaning. And for someone like that to hear that you have been created in the image of God with meaning and purpose and dignity and value, not because of just who you are, but because of who He is, it is invaluable, immeasurable. And to hear that kind of heart and to hear the gospel proclaimed. Like, let me ask you this. As, as a way of illustration, if you were driving home today, and, and on the side of the road you see a sign that says, brand new car free, whatever car you want, whatever your dream car is, free. And you're like, there's no way. It's bogus. Like, they're just going to rob me and, like, leave me or something, right? But you're like, I can't pass it up. Like, it's an irresistible sign. So you pull in. And sure enough, whatever car you want, yours, free. Taxes, tags, all paid for. Yours. And you're driving it home. Who would you tell? Are you calling anybody? Are you going to be like, like, call me? Okay? Tesla Model X. That's my dream car. (laughs) and they're just like seriously any car you want they're just going to give to you and the first response is going to be like no they're not like why are you messing with me it's not april fools this can't be true and you're like no 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 seriously look i'm in the car surrounded by the new car smell right like it's here i'm loving it like i'm holding the, the the steering wheel i'm driving the car this is real and you're going to be calling people and telling them and then when you get together and, and you meet out here in the parking lot, you're going to be like, isn't that crazy? Like, which car did you get? Like, tell me the story. And then someone new is going to get into the car and you're going to be like, let me tell you what happened. You want to know how I got this car? And you're going to tell them the story. And you're going to relive the joy of that moment over and over again. Because there's a completeness that you're going to have if you just drive that car home in isolation by yourself. It's like you got to tell somebody, right? Like the joy, as C.S. Lewis would say, is, is incomplete until it is shared and expressed. And so in that, there's a completion to our joy. How much more with our salvation? Right? Like how much more that we have life and life eternal, that we have fellowship with the living God who paid for us to have a new heart, to be a new creation with His own blood and has freely given us life in Him. Sins forgiven, perfection imparted. You have a new heart. You've been made into a new creation. Your affections and desires have been changed. It's so much more than a new car that's going to rust and fall apart and need repairs done on it. This is, you are a new creation in Christ. This is why John says, this is what we proclaim to you. This is what we shared. Look what God has done, and I want you to share in that. 
I want you to share in that with me. This is what I've received. This is what's available to you so that we can have fellowship with God. We can have fellowship together. And this is what happens when we gather. We retell the story. We remind our hearts. We have a new life. We've been saved. This word of life and life eternal. And we celebrate that and we stir up joy in one another. But I wonder if we believe this. Like, do you believe that there is joy to be had in proclaiming to a a broken world and proclaiming to one another the gospel? There's a completeness to joy that I wonder if for some is lacking because we're just so private about it all. And it's not something we share together in fellowship. It's just kind of my thing. And it's like driving home in silence in your brand new car, keeping it all to yourself. And you're happy for a moment. There's a completeness that they were saying, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. The expression, the proclamation, the sharing brought a completeness to their joy in the Lord. So I, I want to close with these two questions this morning. And in light of these verses, the first is this Who do you trust? And here's what I mean by that. I think there's a context here in what John is writing to the church. When he, we can't miss it, right? When he's like, I saw it with my eyes, I heard it with my ears, I touched it with my hands. There is an experience, eyewitness account that we have here. There will be moments now in the future when you have doubts as to what you believe and why you believe it. And the question is, who will you trust to speak truth into those questions, into those doubts? Are you just going to let like a a random person on TikTok, YouTube, podcast declare for you what is true? And I would even say, don't just listen to me. Are you just going to trust what I'm telling you? Go back to God's word. Allow those who walked with Jesus, who heard him, who watched him, allow his word to define for you what is true. That is the standard by which we are all submitted. Who will you trust to speak into those doubts, into those fears, into that brokenness, into the heartache in questions? Because everybody wants to speak nowadays, but very few people are listening. God's word is the one that holds weight in my heart, that I can know and hold on to, that these ideas aren't fleeting. They're not going to change with the next season of our culture. But these words have been and will continue to be true. Across culture, across time, they are true. And I can hold on to them. So who will you trust? And secondly, Like there is a sense of there's joy to be had in the proclamation of the gospel.
Like it's, I, I'd love to hear Anthony's story. Ask him over lunch. Like what was it like, like in your own heart to be able to communicate the gospel to someone who's hurting so deeply? To know that you have something of value. What did that do to your own heart? Not just the person's heart who heard it, but your own. Because there's joy in that. And I think that's both in a proclamation, but also in a sharing together. As we fellowship together, and from my heart to yours, and your heart to mine, as we remind one another of the joy of our salvation. That when we're honest, and the difficulties of life can sometimes be forgotten. And we need one another to stir and cultivate and fan that flame of joy in one another's life. I want to invite you into that as we walk through this series together. About what this means, what it looks like to follow the God of light and love together as we will hear through this book. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, in the truth that you have eternally existed and from the beginning, that you are the light of life, you are the word of life, that you manifested yourself to us, Lord, not just an, an idea, not just a thought, but Lord, you walked among us. In human flesh, you, you walked in obedience even to the point of dying and, and death on the cross, Lord. Lord, in your blood, you purchased men for God from every tongue and tribe and language and nation. In your blood, you have purchased life and life eternal. Lord, and then you didn't just step back, but you call us to fellowship, to oneness, to, to heart sharing, to, to fellowship together with us, that that is a present and real reality today, now, even when my heart wants to doubt. Lord, it's true. Would you help us as we walk through your word together, Lord? Would you draw our hearts to your own? And would you draw our hearts together in community, in fellowship with you and with one another? And in Jesus' name, amen.